0: okay today is meat fair Sunday I don't know what to tell you about meat fair Sunday it's so simple you're not supposed to eat meat now forever and under the ages of ages at least it seems like it huh because you're not supposed to be eating meat until Pascha what's meat any meat I mean you know chickens meat okay if you got any doubts about it chickens meat you want to get technical You don't eat anything without a backbone, uh, that 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 has a backbone. You can eat shrimp. I never understood this. Scallops, I never understood it. But it's meat fair Sunday, and you're supposed to quit. Now, I'm not going to give a homily on that today. It's a waste of time. I'll spend some time on it maybe next week. But there's no great virtue in fasting, and it certainly should never be done as an end in and of itself. And there are people who believe somehow they're going to gain some great merit with God by fasting and if they miss, you know, if they accidentally smell beef, they're going to be struck by lightning and it just has nothing to do with it. It is an important exercise that it will help you prepare. It's spiritual muscle building, okay? It's Meat Fair Sunday. But for 11 years, when we've gotten to this Sunday, I don't preach on Meat Fair Sunday. I preach on the Sunday of the Last Judgment. You need to know about the Last Judgment. You heard it read this morning in the the Gospel that Deacon Tom just read. Judgment Day is coming. I do not know of any doctrine of the Bible or the church that is more ignored today than the Sunday or than the last judgment. It's as if somehow we don't believe it's really going to happen. Everybody's going to live happily ever after. And folks, not everybody is going to live happily ever after. If you happen to be visiting today, don't go out of here and say that 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 priest was preaching hellfire and damnation. That's what I always hear when I go to church. You hear it once a year. You hear it on this Sunday, and it's my responsibility and my obligation to you, and not just to the guys turning eight, not just to those of you who are growing up, but to all of you, it is my responsibility to you to know that there is a day of judgment coming, and you are going to stand before the great red judgment seat of Christ, How many times do we say this in our services over and over again? And sometimes it just floats right over the top of our head as if it simply is not going to happen or, you know, it'll be okay. Well, if you listen to the gospel today, it isn't going to be okay for everyone, not by any measure of the means. You say... But Father, you don't believe that there's actually such a place as hell or Gehenna or what was read about today. Yes, I believe it, and I'll explain why in a few moments. And you need to believe it too. If you don't believe it, if you're going to gamble on it not being so, that's a hell of a gamble, isn't it? I would never gamble on that. It's foolish to gamble on it. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Don't bank on it. Now... Why don't people want to believe in judgment? Well, I I think about Bob Hoffman. Bob Hoffman was really one weird man. When I met him, he was about 55, and I was probably in the neighborhood of 23 or 24. And Bob Hoffman had a really heavy foot. He was a traveling salesman, not all that bad of a salesman. And his territory covered from Los Angeles to San Francisco. I remember one day walking into the church office and there was a little discussion going on. Bob Hoffman happened to be in the church office. He was talking to the church secretary and he was announcing to her that he'd had bad luck on the way back from San Francisco. He got five speeding tickets. Somehow, Bob, I don't know how many speeding tickets the man got. He knew he was gonna get a ticket. He understood it. He knew he would go to court. He knew he was going to get fined. But he still went ahead and did it anyway. You know, I think a lot of us live that way. We know a day of judgment is coming. We hear the gospel that was read today. I was hungry and and you fed me not. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Depart from me, you everlasting, into eternal judgment. Whoa! We just don't want to listen. We just want to say, well, our God is so loving. Well, he wouldn't do such a thing. That's just not what our God says. Our God is loving. And part of his love is not to force people to go into his heaven. How would you like to have a God who says, I don't care if you want to go into my heaven or not, I'm going to make you go there. I created you with a free will, but I decided to take it away from you. And from henceforth, your free will is worth nothing. And if you don't happen to like my heaven, where we're going to have long services, then you've got a problem. You're going to go anyway. You're just going to stand there with the angels and the archangels and the, the cherubim and the seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, so i not... Oh, it's so boring. You know, there's a lot of people who just don't want to go to God's heaven. And you know what? He's not going to force them. But the issue was not going to be so much the what you want to do; is The issue's going to be what you did and what you've done. And this one has to do with so much of what you've done. I grew up in an environment where all you had to do was ask Jesus into your heart and everything was going to be okay. And I remember my dad used to read that gospel often. My father was the minister and he would read that gospel and I would listen to it and it would scare the bejabbers out of me. It would just scare me to death because I was at least bright enough to understand that what I heard being read had some reality to it. And that if it were true, I better live appropriately. And that how I live in this life and how I live with respect to my faith in God and how I behave with respect to my faith in God is incredibly important. Now, some of you may not believe that uh, Orthodox really believe in judgment. Now let me read to you what was sung this morning at Matins. I picture that day, by the way, it's important that the fathers of the church tell us to do this. Picture it, picture it. I picture that day and that hour when we shall stand naked and condemned before the judge. Then the trumpet shall blow with great shouting and the foundations of the earth shall shake and the dead shall rise from their graves, and all become of one stature. Woe! And the secret thoughts of all stand revealed before thee. And they who repented not in their lifetime shall wail and mourn, and shall proceed to the nethermost fire, but the righteous shall enter into the heavenly chamber with joy and rejoicing. What we just sang was the day is coming we're all going to stand there, essentially naked as a jaybird. That is, there's nothing that's going to be able to cover up what we've done. And we're all going to be five- foot 10. There aren't going to be people that are six, nine and seven and seven, one, or four- foot two. You understand what I'm saying? We're all going to stand there equal. And when that time comes, it doesn't make any difference how much money you made in this life. It doesn't make any difference how important you were in your job. It doesn't make any difference what virtues you accomplished in this life as far as this world is concerned. We are all all going to stand there. And folks, people are going to be... This isn't a private thing that's going to go on. You know, We're not going to come up and the Lord's not going to put his little stole over your head and it's going to be whispered. Everything you've done is going to be shouted for everyone to hear. Do you have secrets? Don't count on them being kept, because they're not going to be kept. Your most dark secrets are going to be shouted, says the gospel, from the housetops. And people are going to look at you and say, The priest John, he did that? What a hypocrite. Why did he? He never told us he did those kinds of things. You see, by the way, that's one reason you want to make sure you get to confession. Lent's a good time to do it. If you want to have stuff not be shouted from the housetops, you know how to get that to keep from happening? Come up here and whisper it in my hearing. If you come and whisper it in my hearing, it's not going to be heard from the housetops because it will all be taken care of here. That's one of the great values to the confession. We sing it, not only that, but a few moments ago, the choir sang. They sang this. When you, O God, shall come to the earth. Now, the choir wasn't addressing you. The choir was addressing God. When you, O God, shall come to earth with glory, all things shall tremble, and the river of fire shall flow before the judgment seat. You know, where do people get this idea of hell, fire, and brimstone? You want to know where they get that idea? From the B-I-B-L-E, from the Bible. That's where they get the idea. And the fathers of the church say, that's absolutely right, that's true. Then the books shall be opened and the hidden things disclosed. Then deliver me from the unquenchable fire and make me worthy to stand at your right hand, O righteous judge. Oh, it's not just that we sing it. We sing it and we need to believe it. Well, you say, Father, how could you believe such a thing? You know, many people would say there's one reason I have no interest in Christianity, and that's that idea of hell. That's that idea of judgment. That idea of eternal punishment. I wrote a thesis on it. I actually wrote it. I actually wrote a dissertation on this one time. And it's a war. It's just a constant war because people simply do not want to believe this. God wouldn't do this. Let me ask you a question. If there were a person who made, let's say, for example, 250 predictions. You with me? 250 predictions. And so far, 249 of them have all come true. How much would you bank on the 250th coming true? 250 predictions, 249 of them have already come true. Would you count on the 250th coming true? I wouldn't even blink. Absolutely. Complete confidence. Whether I like it or not, God didn't leave us without evidence. You know, there's an idea in this world that people tend to get into, and that is, well, if you just have faith, frankly, folks, faith without any substance is absolute stupidity. Just to believe something because you're supposed to believe it, I think it's just nonsense. Okay, I admit I'm a skeptic, but I better have some evidence. Well, God did not leave us without evidence. He didn't leave us without evidence so that we would have no doubt when his son came. So much evidence was given. He left us ample evidence so we would recognize the Messiah when he got here. And he gave us ample evidence, at least from Daniel on. Daniel the prophet prophesied of the day of judgment. The Lord, now you with me? In the whole Bible, I'll give you three guesses, the first two don't count. In the entire Bible, who do you think said more about eternal judgment than anyone else in all the Bible? Three guesses, the first two don't count. Jesus. Jesus did. Folks, it's ludicrous that anyone should suffer at the last judgment. It's utter stupidity. Oh, it's worse than that, it's rebelliousness of heart. No one need be lost for an answer. We pray. We will pray before this service is over. In just a few moments, the deacon is going to say, let us pray for a good defense before the great dread judgment seat of Christ. Don't just moan, Lord of mercy. Make it your prayer. A good defense before the great dread judgment seat of Christ. There is no one on this earth, no one who needs to fall short of the last judgment. The only thing that will keep you from it, if you reject the mercy and the grace that God has given, if you reject the power that he will give in your life so that you can do the stuff that was read about in the gospel this morning. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you comforted me. How are you going to do that? God will give you the strength. God will give you the power. He will give you the faith. No one needs to be left. You, well, what about somebody over in the middle of the jungles of Africa who has never heard? God will take care of them. Leave them to God. Don't use them as an excuse for yourself. Very bad idea. Very, very bad idea. Folks, I even believe that very often we come to this Sunday in the church calendar... And we love to talk about meat fare. I'd rather talk about meat fare than judgment. You know, I could give you a really humdinger of a sermon about meat fare and about how we're supposed to fast. And honestly, I'd rather do that. But I have to stand before the great dread judgment seat. You know what's going to be asked of me, amongst other things? Not necessarily of you. This will be asked of me. What about Zanetta? Were you faithful to her? What about the deacon Tom? Were you faithful to him? What about Christian? Were you faithful to him? What about Gabby? Were you faithful to him? I have to give an answer to for every one of you. What about Michael? Did you take care of him? What about Louie? Did you take care of him? And his mom and dad, did you take care of them? I've got to stand before them, before the great dread judgment. And in addition to all the stuff in my life, I've got to answer for you. And the thing I dread, William, at your first Sunday in the altar, I do not want William Halpin to stand in the great dread judgment and say, I didn't even know. I didn't even have an idea. And the judge would say, well, didn't your priest say anything? No, he just talked about meat fair Sunday. He taught us how to fast. And the judge will say, but didn't he teach you how to live? No, he taught us how to fast. He taught me how I should be an altar boy. Now I've got to give an account. But you have to give an account, too. We must all appear before the dread judgment seat of Christ. That's the words of the King James Version, and that's the words we use in our, in our services. We must all appear before the great dread judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. You'll find that in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Folks, I exhort you today. Two things I exhort you towards. Number one, utterly cast your faith in God. But at the same time, as you do that, I urge you, lay aside all the garbage and junk in your life, and at this season of repentance, turn in your heart uh utterly away from all those things and turn utterly and completely and irrevocably to God with all your heart, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and have mercy on me. And then when I say, let us depart in peace in the name of the Lord, go out and live as a child of God. Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. What does he mean? When you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into a living union with him. If you are baptized into a living union with him, then there is an identity you would have with him, and if you have been baptized into Christ, and if you have been baptized into Christ, and you have been baptized into Christ, and you have been baptized into Christ, and you have been baptized into Christ, then you have all come into union with him, but being in union with him makes you in union with each other. So anything that's done to anyone who is in union with him is done to him. Or anything that is done to him is done to you. Which, by the way, is extremely important because he was crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and so that happened to you too because of your union with him. But in this judgment passage, in as much as you have done it under the one of the least of these, my brethren. Folks, listen to me carefully. You cannot feed the entire world. I get utterly depressed when someone leans all over us and says, You need to take care of all the poor in the world. All the poor in the world need to be cared for. But I can't do it. But at least I need to take care of those who are of the household of God. One reason we're praying for our brethren in Gaza. When you appear before the great dread judgment seat, what will be the outcome? Better make sure you have that secure. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Grant me the grace. Make me worthy. None of us are worthy. Make me worthy. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. Help me, O Lord that I may stand before your great dread judgment seat and pass from there into his eternal kingdom.